Hello, and welcome to Right Now with Ralph Martin, a podcast where author, speaker, and worldwide renewal leader, Dr. Ralph Martin, shares what the Holy Spirit is stirring up in the church right now. Words of encouragement from the Lord to strengthen you for such a time as this. We are glad you can be with us this week as we seek to encourage you for this moment in history. And now, your host, Ralph Martin. Hi again. This is Ralph Martin speaking to you from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm president of Renewal Ministries, a ministry devoted to Catholic renewal and evangelization. We have the uh, weekly television program called The Choices We Face, which is the longest-running Catholic program right now on EWTN. We have two daily Catholic radio programs. We do missionary work in about 30 or 40 countries, and uh, we regularly try to just do whatever we can to build up the faith of people, to encourage people, to strengthen people. We do this through publications, through YouTube videos, and uh, lots of live speaking and preaching and writing all over the place. So, if you want to find out more about us, who we are, and what we do, just go to Renewal Ministries, all one word, dot net, renewalministries.net. Today, I'd like to be talking to you about uh, a challenging subject. I'm going to be talking to you about obedience. And I guess the title we could give to this talk is The Struggle to Obey. And it's really hard today to really face directly. Uh, the role of obedience in uniting us to the Lord. And it's not just because the culture is so much opposed to obedience. The culture is basically saying, do your own thing, believe what you want, do what you want. Uh, Just an invitation to uh, the ego, an invitation to pride, an invitation to uh, giving in to disordered desires to, uh, never having to deny ourselves and just doing what we please, which is very inimical to obedience. Another obstacle, of course, is that the whole concept of obedience has been misused over the years. There's been inappropriate demands for obedience on the part of unjust rulers, Uh, inappropriate demands for obedience on the part of people who don't have our best interests at at stake in mind. But also, there's just a plain old struggle because what it means to be a fallen human being is to have inbuilt tendencies to rebel, to uh, disobey, to reject, to declare our independence from whatever legitimate authority may be claiming our obedience or appropriate obedience, but also declare our independence from the very structure of reality. So it isn't just our culture that's sort of celebrating liberation from reality, but also it's something in us that very much is inclined that way. So let's take a look at some scripture passages that maybe could help us understand more of the importance of genuine obedience and also how deep in us runs the uh, resistance to obedience. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 2. This is where it all begins, and this is where so much is revealed to us about the importance of obedience and all the different ways in which we rationalize disobedience and are tempted to disobey. This is Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 15. 
The Lord God then took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. The Lord God gave the man this order. You are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From that tree you shall not eat. When you eat from it, you shall die. Now, we don't like the very sound of the Lord gave this order or the Lord gave ten commandments. We don't like to be commanded to do anything or ordered to do anything. So already there's something in us that uh, kind of bristles at this. Let's go on. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suited to him. So that's how Eve got created and uh, the commission to name the animals came. So then we go to chapter three. Now the snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Just like uh, Satan is the most intelligent and most beautiful of all the spiritual beings that God made. And that, that most cunning being is now on the earth with those who disobeyed with him, uh, prowling about, seeking to devour our soul, seeking to devour our soul, just like he was seeking to devour the soul of Adam and Eve, and did. Now, the snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He asked the woman, did God really say, you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? That's pretty cunning, isn't it? Making the woman wonder, is this, did God really say this? You know, did I hear it rightly? Do I understand it correctly? The woman answers the snake, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It's only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. The God said, you shall not eat it or even touch it or else you'll die. She added the even touch it part. You know, the book of Revelations, it ends by saying, woe to those who anybody, to anybody who adds anything to the word of God or takes anything away from the word of God. It's important to be really clear not to add anything to the word of God and not to take anything away from it. And there's a lot of both going on today. And a lot of that's going on in our own minds and hearts. It's only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat it or even touch it, else you will die. But the snake said to the woman, you certainly will not die. Hmm. First, she, he tries to inculcate doubt. Did God really say that? And then he's outright denying the truthfulness of the word. What that's denying is the goodness of God, the motivation of God of giving us commandments for our good. But the snake said to the woman, you certainly will not die. God knows well that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like gods who know good and evil. So this is an appeal to pride. This is an appeal to, hmm, maybe I've got all I need in myself I don't need to submit to anybody else. I don't need to follow anybody else. I don't need to obey anybody in order to be fulfilled. I just can affirm my own being and do what seems good in my own eyes. Of course, Nietzsche described the situation of our modern culture now beyond good and evil. We make it up as we go along. The woman saw that the tree was good for food pleasing to the eyes. The tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. This is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life that uh, the uh, Apostle John talks about in his first epistle. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were open and that they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So uh, we like to involve others in our disobedience. Uh, we like to uh, validate our own choice by getting other people to also choose that way. And that's why in Romans chapter one, it talks about these wicked people not only did wicked things themselves, but approved wickedness in others. So it's a very, a very wicked thing to encourage other people in evil doing. It's bad enough for us to do wicked things, but it's doubly bad for us to encourage others to tell other people it's okay when it's not. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking about in the garden at the breezy time of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God then called to the man and asked him, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked. They lost their innocence and they were feeling guilty and they were guilty. You know, a lot of times people say you got to do anything you need to do. Get rid of your guilt feelings, go to counseling, whatever. Well, if you have psychologically unbalanced guilt problem, guilt, guilt feelings, yeah, get some help in overcoming them. But if you have guilt feelings because you're guilty, confess, repent. Seek God's forgiveness. Then God asked, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I had forbidden you to eat? The man replied, the woman whom you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, so I ate it. So Adam is deflecting responsibility for going along with evil. He's trying to excuse himself. He's trying to excuse his free choice to accept the fruit from his wife and also to join her in disobeying God. This also, of course, is an indirect accusation against God. This woman whom you put here with me, so you're ultimately responsible. I'm not responsible. The Lord God then asked the woman, what is this you have done? The woman answered, the snake tricked me, so I ate it. So the woman is trying to deflect responsibility to the snake. Now, the snake and the woman play an important role in this. They are not innocent. But everybody is responsible despite the temptation of the devil, despite the encouragement of other people to sin, to obey God anyway despite those temptations and despite those enticements from people that we may be very close to and very attracted to. Here's the consequences. Then the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals. It talks about the punishment to the snake, the punishment to the devil. To the woman, he said, I will intensify your toil and childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children Yet your urge shall be for your children, shall rule over you. So there's going to be disorder in, in the man-female relationship, a man-woman relationship. There's going to be disorder in what would have been a, a not a painful process of childbirth. To so the man, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil shall you eat its yield all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bear you. You shall eat the grass of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread until you return to the ground from which you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
wow. The Lord was offering them eternal life if they just obeyed. The devil tempted them and they gave into the temptation. He told them that they'll be God so they won't die. It was a wicked, wicked lie. And they fell for it. They said yes to it. They assented to it. And so they now are responsible for bearing the consequences. A lot of times these days, people don't want to face consequences, don't want to admit that there's consequences, don't want to be realistic about the consequences, and don't want to endure the consequences when it's a just judgment on something wrong that we've done, either naturally or supernaturally. The Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he had been taken. He expelled the man, stationing the cherub and the fiery revolving sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the Tree of Life. The Lord wanted to give them eternal life. He wanted them not to die, but to be immortal from the beginning. They rebelled. They chafed against the commandment. They didn't believe the word of God, and they didn't hold fast to it when it came under attack. This is precisely the same thing that happens today. The same devil is prowling about the world, tempting us in the same way, tempting us to independence, tempting us to rebellion, tempting us to chafe at the commandments, trying to get us to believe that the commandments aren't for our own good. The commandments are our guidepost to life forever with God and the fulfillment of our deepest desires. So coming to grips with our resistance to obedience, our struggle with obedience is really important. So let's take a look at a few New Testament passages that talk about obedience and how important it is. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard for his godly fear. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This is a mysterious passage. I won't read you the good footnote on it from the Ignatius Study Bible. It basically says Jesus in his humanity had to learn some things from experience that he already knew because he was the son of God. He had to learn some things in his humanity, in his flesh, through experience. So Jesus, in some mysterious way, in the agony garden, He knew his father could spare him from the terrible suffering he was going to experience. But he overcame the temptation to avoid the path that the father had for him, which would perfectly redeem the human race. And because of the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. He obeyed his father. He walked the path that was the most perfect path to walk for him, for giving glory to the father for glorifying himself and for saving the human race. So Jesus now has become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This reminds of the passage in Luke chapter 
uh, 13 that we all, Luke chapter 11, I think. Yeah, Luke chapter 11 that we always talk about where, let me, let me make sure of that because it's an important text. It's uh, the passage where Jesus talks about when the master closes the door, what's going to happen. No, it's Luke chapter 13. <clears throat> Sorry, in verse 22. I won't go through it all. But basically, it talks about people sympathetic to Jesus, people hanging out with him, people eating and drinking with him in the streets of Jerusalem, people listening to his teaching, maybe people who came to his healing service, maybe people who got healed, maybe people who told their friends about this great preacher. But the door closes, and they're outside the Father's house. And they protest and say, wait a second, Jesus, we, we hung out to you. We were sympathetic with you. And Jesus I never knew you. Depart from me, you wicked ones. What was the wickedness of these people who were sympathetic to Jesus but didn't become his disciples? The wickedness was not really believing in him not really listening to his word. They heard the words, but they didn't listen. There's a distinction in scripture between listening and heeding the word of God. Real faith in the New Testament isn't just an abstract belief. Yeah, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's a belief that calls to obedience. It's a belief that calls to deeds. It's a, it's a belief that calls to conforming our lives to the word that we've heard. So that's why it's really important not just to hear the word of God, but to obey it. It's really important not just to believe in Jesus, but actually to follow him. As it says in Hebrews chapter 5, we just read it. He become, he's become the source of salvation for those who obey him. Obedience is essential. The Father has sent Jesus to guide us back to the Father's house to guide us back to Eden, to guide us back to paradise from which we've been banished by our rebellion. And the only way that we can come back to paradise is to repent of our rebellion, repent of our disobedience, and gladly entrusting our, ourselves to the words of Jesus and the commands of Jesus to follow him and take the left turn, the right turn, all the directions he give us so we end up with him back in the Father's house. There's another text in Acts chapter 5 I'd like to also draw our attention to. It's uh, <clears throat> verses 27 and 32. And when they had brought them, these are the disciples, the apostles who are preaching, and they're being threatened with uh, you know, murder or arrest, all the things that they got threatened with. So the, the Jewish rulers, again, bring them and set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying... We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The most precious gift we could ever receive is the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is God himself. And Jesus tells us it's better that he's not here with us like he was on earth, 
because if he didn't go, if he didn't go back to the Father, he couldn't send out his spirit. And the spirit's going to do so many things for us that it's absolutely essential. He's going to remind us of the things that Jesus has said so we know what to do in particular situations. He's going to lead us into all the truth. There's such depth in the word of God. There's such depth of of relationship with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit wants to bring us into that depth. The Holy Spirit wants to warn us when when we're facing temptation. He wants to get us to recognize Jesus' voice so that we're not deceived. The Holy Spirit does so many important things. And the Holy Spirit, God gives to those who obey him. So important to obey the Lord. So important to obey the Ten Commandments. So important to obey Jesus, everything that Jesus tells us. So there's two more verses. <clears throat> John chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you to love one another. So this is another really important command of Jesus. He's commanding us to love one another. He's commanding us, whatever the difficulties, to get over them, to forgive as much as possible to be reconciled, as much as possible to be at peace, as much as possible not to cause division. It's not always possible. Some people don't want peace. Some people are taking responsibility for causing division. Sometimes division has to happen because of loyalty to Jesus, but as much as possible, loving each other, striving for unity. And then Jesus says, if you love me, Do what I'm asking you to do. It's easy to say, I love the Lord. But like Jesus said, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But only those who do the will of his Father in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 7. Here in John's gospel, it's, if you love me, do what I'm asking you to do. And primarily what he's asking us to do, what scripture says the work of God is, is to believe in the one that he sent. So what God the Father wants from us is to believe in the one whom he sent. That means paying really close attention to every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus and committing us to obey it. Now, this is tough. This is tough. A lot of us have gotten into uh, making exceptions for ourselves from God's word. A lot of us have come either out of despair or out of arrogance to say, well, I can't do this or this doesn't apply to me or I don't understand this, or uh, uh, the church has got to change its teaching to get with the modern world. And we've kind of drifted away from treasuring every word that comes out of the mouth of God, really. We've gotten away from accepting, really, Jesus as our guide. We're kind of picking and choosing. We've got to stop picking and choosing. You know, maybe we've made excuses for ourselves in the area of money and greed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, the greedy will not enter the kingdom of God. Maybe we've made exceptions for ourselves in uh, fear and cowardness. When when Revelation 21 talks about those who are going to be in the lake of fire and the second death, it talks about the cowards, those who uh, 
deny Christ when faced with pressure from the world. Maybe we made exceptions in the area of sexual morality because our culture kind of tells us this is normal. This is okay. There's no big deal when people live together before marriage. It's no big deal. Like if you're, if you're not happy in your marriage, you deserve happiness. Go on to another relationship or, Hey, it's no big deal. Uh, if, if you, you don't feel confident as a man or a woman, go ahead and change your, change your gender identity. And this is, this is an offense to God who created us male and female. So, uh, wherever we've made exceptions for ourselves or haven't really embraced the full word of God, or maybe we made exceptions for ourselves regarding pornography or masturbation saying this doesn't hurt anybody or, or contraception saying it's unrealistic uh, to be chased during fertile times. If we shouldn't have another child, wherever we've made exceptions as hard as it is, let's be honest. And let's begin by saying, Lord, I don't know if I could do this or not. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I want it enough. I don't know if I'm so serious and sincere enough in my repentance, but help me. Just, just talk to the Lord where you are in, in whatever weakness you're in, whatever exception you made, whether you become a, a slave to greed or cowardness or fear or, or lost of different kinds. Uh, ask the Lord to help you, but don't pretend that you're obeying the Lord when you've kind of not obeying really important things he said. And these aren't just secondary things. These are things that scripture tells us will exclude us from the kingdom of God unless we repent. These are grave sins. And we have a responsibility to form our conscience according to the word of God, not on how we feel about a particular commandment or not, or not how our culture is encouraging us to feel about it, or not how Satan is deceiving us. So this is challenged, I know. The struggle of obedience is a struggle. It's hard but it's really the way to life. It's the way to a fuller, more peaceful, uh, fruitful life in this world. And most importantly, it's the only way back to the Father's house. And believe me, we want to end up back in the Father's house and not eternally secluded from the paradise we lost by our disobedience and our sin. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on everyone listening right now. I ask you to give the grace of repentance if that's needed, the the, the grace of deliverance from deception if that's needed, the the grace of uh, accepting you in a a more deep way than ever before, that's really, if that's needed, the the grace of accepting your word without editing it, without adding to it or taking away from it, the treasure that your word really is. Lord, I ask you to send your Holy Spirit right now to everybody listening to this and give them the insight they need right now, the light they need right now, the grace they right, need right now to repent and to just cast themselves upon your mercy, asking for a strength to do these things that's beyond them, but that you are able to provide. Amen. God bless you. God love you. Amen. This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. For more information about Renewal Ministries, visit our website at renewalministries.net. Join us next week to find strength, hope, and courage for the Christian journey. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin.